Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Coming up, Ryan Bernardoni, aka Danger Cart, the original architect of Celtics Reddit and former editor in chief of CelticsHub.com and now current Celtics Twitter savant. He joins us to talk trader player exception, dream scenarios versus what's likely to happen in reality, plus Tatum's elevating ceiling, the revolving door center rotation, and why there's no alarm bells ringing yet for the Celtics team. Let's get into it. All right, Ryan Bernardoni, the architect of Celtics Reddit, among other things. Welcome back, sir. How's it going? Good. Thank you for having me. No worries. No. So last time we had you on was during the 2018-2019 season where, if you remember, the alarm, be- alarm bells were well and truly ringing after 20 games or so. This season, it doesn't really have that kind of feel to it at all, despite a similar record and after a similar sample size. Why do you suppose that is and what would it take for you to start panicking? Yeah, for all that I've tried to forget the 2018-19 season, I do remember the first 20 games of that year. Uh, and certainly the alarm bells were ringing for me. Uh, maybe I think there were quite a lot of sort of arguments about whether or not they should have been. And um, I think you can actually make a decent case that that they shouldn't have been and that the team was quite good and, and was in a position to move forward in the playoffs if um, Kyrie hadn't blown up the team and sabotaged things. And, and that the plans for you know trying to get KD, obviously... They, the two of them did team up. So I think there's an argument to be made that like the the fact that I was sort of freaking out at that point was was overblown. Although the reason I was freaking out at that point did turn out to be basically what happened, which was it was it was just a team in a very different place, right? Like you look at where that team was, and it there was the potential for everything to fracture and for like everybody to go their own separate ways because Kyrie was going to be a free agent and Al could be a free agent and uh, Mook and you know, Rogier, they were all, there was the possibility that they could all just go off and try to do their own thing. And like, we're just, you know, go and try to get our money and, and our stats and all that and sort of like blow things up. Jalen was up for an extension that off season. Like there were just so many guys who had an opportunity to try to like go and do their own thing uh, that you could see like the potential for disaster. And that disaster, if not for the fact that like Jalen and Jason have since taken a, a second leap, like, or a third leap, whatever you want to say, could have just like melted everything down. And that kind of is what happened, um, even if like it wasn't, you know, like I said, you could argue that, that that wasn't like a guarantee and that things could have gone very differently, even even all the way to the playoffs. So I think that was the case at, at that point. Um, this year, it's just a really different team. And like anybody who looked closely at how this season was going to start, be like, OK, Kemba's hurt and there's this whole COVID thing and the team didn't have an offseason and we know that their bench isn't going to be very good and they have like a brutal early schedule. They have like no home games. They're playing against a bunch of good teams. There's all these problems. Like it was just obvious that the team was going to be like 520 games in and they're 520 games in even though they had a COVID outbreak and all the sort of stuff you were looking for within that has been really positive as opposed to two years ago when it was all sort of like at least like orange flashing if not red flashing uh, alerts so you know I, i'll leave it back like i don't know if anybody else wants to comment on that before i talk about like what would what it would have taken for me to be freaking out right now but like that's the difference right is that it was a, just a totally different structure of the the franchise and the team at, at two years ago to where we are now yeah i have to agree that it's a, a lack of identity a couple years ago um you know we had Kyrie, but beyond that there wasn't really any clarity. We had so many guys that wanted to be the man, it seemed. And this year, it does seem like we, we do have 
there's clarity at the very least. We know it's Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's team. Those guys have stepped up huge. And uh, I mean, we talked about it a few times in the last few episodes of this podcast, but really it's, it's just about filling out the rest of the roster. And that's, that's really not that it's easy, but it's certainly easier than landing two foundational superstars to build around. So yeah, I wouldn't personally, I'm not panicking about it. Yeah. So it sounds like the comparison to, to summarize would be that the, the long-term uh, impacts of the team were immediately in jeopardy back in the 18-19 season, whereas in this case, there's a lot more longevity to at least the core of this team. So that's why uh, alarm bells aren't ringing. But but to go back to you, Ryan, what would it start for you in this particular season for those alarm bells, for that panic to rise up there? Yeah, I think it would similar to probably what everybody else would, would see. Like if Jalen and Jason in trying to step up you know, to larger roles were really struggling, it would almost not matter what the record is, right? Like they could be whatever, 15 and five, and they could have a whole bunch of unsustainable shooting from the bench. And you could have all these things that you're worried about, but Jalen's assist, you know, percentage is still eight and he's turning the ball over more and he's at a 53% true shooting. And like, basically like all the things that you might fear would happen when he tries to step up from being, you know, at most a third, maybe a fourth option up to being a second option. And even if the record was, you know, they could have a negative point differential and be 15 and five with all that sort of stuff. And you would be like, Oh, this is, concerning for me to be freaking out it would be that it would be more about the individual growth of of jason and and jalen than than a record thing uh you know if they were three and 17 obviously everybody would be freaking out but that would come with it if if they were that bad then that would mean that the good players were also performing really poorly right there's no way to sort of decouple those um so i think that's what it would have been where if they could have had a good record and you were like um i don't know what the future of this team is right now you know if, if kemba was just coming back now even with the struggles he's had, like if he was just coming back now and, and you were saying like, uh, okay, maybe his knee is, is shot and the guys who we need to step up just aren't quite the level where they can do that. Then it would just, you'd be kind of like you were in the wilderness, right? You'd be like, all right, well, what's next and how do you get out of this as opposed to being just a straight record thing? Yeah. Okay. So devil's advocate then if Jalen and, and Jason are supposedly PG and Kawhi level players, shouldn't our record be, a bit better at this stage is that not some cause for concern well they're not pg and Kawhi level players right now <laughs> um is part of it the the players that are surrounding them are not as good as the players who are on the clippers uh surrounding you know surrounding pg and Kawhi. there also is like a legitimate thing of just their schedule has been really weird and difficult and they had yeah. a COVID outbreak and they have players who have been out and like they could easily be you know they could be nine and 13 right now they could be 15 and however many games how, how many games have we actually played now i don't even know 22 right um uh, like you know, there's a couple of games in there that could have could have easily gone either way um uh, you they're underdogs to win tonight utah's off to a hot start like they're going to be around 500 um uh, but that could could swing a couple ways in either either direction but really it's just like they're not you know tatum's not Kawhi yet is he going to be as good as Kawhi somewhere down the line like it seems possible um it's there's not many guys around the league you can say that about so like I think that's what it is, but mostly it's just like they've had a difficult schedule and they've played eight games at home and 14 games on the road, 15 tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though home road hasn't been a huge advantage this year with no fans, like you're, they've been on the road all the time. They had no off season. They have a whole bunch of young guys. Their bench sucks. Like it's not a complete and finished team. So the record's not great. Like, I don't know. I thought they were going to be 10 and 10 to start the year and they were 11 and nine. So it's, kind of yeah. just what I expected. No, I, I hear you. And these long road trips down the West Coast in particular can be particularly arduous for, for those guys. So you can see, I, I think we, we did a, a a mention on our last podcast or a prediction rather as to 
what record the team would take on this West Coast road trip. And three and two was the sort of the prevailing outcome there. So I guess that's all hinging on this this Jazz game tonight. So we'll see how that goes. Um, you did a, a really good podcast with the winning plays guys, uh, I guess a week or so ago, maybe less than that, uh, talking about all of the different TPE options. There's been a lot of content on TPE, rightfully so, since the beginning of this season. And you guys went through all of the, the realistic options in terms of TPE acquisitions and rated them individually. I want to take another approach here, though, Ryan, and ask you, like, what's your dream or your ideal TPE acquisition scenario for the Celtics versus what you think will probably happen in reality? Yeah, so anybody who follows me on Twitter probably knows what my ideal is, which is that Toronto isn't in it, at the, or they fall a little bit back by the trade deadline, and that the Celtics come in and are just like, OG Ananobi is the perfect fit for us, and the Raptors aren't going anywhere, and he's probably never going to be an all-star, and like we're going to overpay for a guy who's like a really high-end role player here and is 23, 24 years, whatever he is. And like that they just sort of push the chips in on the idea of, of Tatum Brown and Ananobi, and that's who they go after and get. I don't expect that he's going to get traded. I recognize that you know Toronto might just say, like we, we're going to go with Van Vliet and Siakam and Ananobi, and that's going to be our core and whatever. Like There'll be a five-seed a whole bunch and that's fine um so i recognize that that's not likely to happen but like that's my ideal is that they just go and they are like hey three unprotected first round picks and aaron neesmith and are we are we close like does, does that get us there and then you turn around and you can go from there because his contract is weird um but this year he makes so little you'd have tons of space under the, the luxury tax still and like you go and get george hill and you give up your, the second round picks that you got in you know at, at the draft for moving back from 30 and it's like and that's your team, right? Like mm-hmm. that's a that's suddenly like a really versatile, loaded team that's going to be impossible to score against, and has enough scoring, obviously, with uh, you know with the guys they would have around him. So like that's my ideal, um, but I don't like think that that's you know certainly unlikely to happen. Uh, but it's not impossible. I, you get a lot of pushback on that. Uh, I say a lot. You know, you you get like five people pushing back online, and it seems like there's like a tidal wave <laughs> against you, but it's actually effective. <laughs> because um, we're all little babies yeah, fair enough. Can't, can't deal with our mention um, <laughs> me completely included uh, but you know you get pushback on that and like I'm not like plugged in I'm not a reporter but like I talk to people around the league and, and the, the feedback you always get is like basically anybody is tradable like the idea that he, he's a guy is not tradable is ridiculous like you could go in and you could offer four, for four unprotected picks and Lankford and they would take it like, mm-hmm. should you do that? No, probably not. But like, these guys are tradable. There's a handful of guys around the league that are literally teams are never going to trade at least one, you know, straight up one for one. But like, there's not, there's sometimes there's an idea of like, you, this guy can never be traded because it's a player who I like too much. And like, because I think that they're really good, I assume that their team would never trade them. And it's really just like a value proposition. These guys can be had. I don't, again, I don't think that they will, but it's not like impossible. Um, so I don't know. That's my ideal. <laughs> um, <laughs> You want to know what I think? What was? The, what do I think will happen? Yeah. So ultimately, in reality, what will be the um, the Danny Ainge anticlimax, if you will? I don't think it will be an anticlimax. I mean, it won't be that good. It's, I don't think. But like, do I think they're going to get somebody from the Aaron Gordon, Thad Young, Harrison Barnes, uh, Larry Nance sort of pool? I'd say there's probably like a 35 percent chance that they get a guy that good. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you move down the line to you know, the sort of like the Elitza shooting big kind of range or maybe a, again, a George Hill type. Like I think they will acquire at least one good player. And I think that there's a decent chance, like 
thirty percent chance of a of a like team making a trade for a pretty major player is still a pretty high odds. Like if you look back at the history of trade deadlines for for how many trades actually happen and how many teams that make a move, and I think that there's a, a good chance that they get a player of that level. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to come out of an empty-handed on the other side. Uh, I they may they may get a bad trade grade because somebody's going to look at it and say like, Oh, they gave up too much for that guy, but they can afford to, and they probably should be willing to do that right now. So I think ultimately that's how it'll play out that they'll, you know, they'll get a good wing of some kind um, and ask again in a month when it's closer to the trade deadline. And we actually know, you know, right now there's like two thirds of the league is right around 500. And so everybody thinks they still have a chance. So a team will fall out um, or, you know, a couple of them like Orlando pretty much already have. So, you know, check back in a month and, We'll, we'll, we can pick players who we think are most likely at that point, but that's what I think will probably happen. Interesting. I'm still uh, I'm still reeling from you saying that Tatum's not on the level of Kawhi, and we, we, he's just outplayed him. But well, <laughs> just... I mean, that's one thing. Like he's had good He's, he's obviously him. not. Yeah. yeah he's I mean... he's he's getting there, but probably quite not quite yet. Well, has a two-time uh, Finals MVP, right? Like he's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. I mean, he's no Jason Tatum. No. Tatum's defense uh, this year really... <laughs> the differentiator, right? Like, like Kawhi's defense this year has ramped back up a little bit, I think, and Tatum's defense has slipped slipped a little this year from the levels that he's been at in the past, and he's never been as good as Kawhi, but offensively like um they're pretty similar players actually in sort of the way that they're that his game is developing people have a lot of times pointed to to um to paul george more as like the comp for tatum i think because they sort of like have haircuts that look similar when tatum cuts his hair <laughs> um, they just have nice lines in their hair and people uh-huh. just think they're the same um but yeah in in some ways he's developing more towards like a a kawaii iso get to your spot sort of game um the defensive side is is obviously uh, even with Tatum's high level defense a little bit of a gap still that hopefully uh, we'll see if that closes over the years. Last time when you came on Ryan about two years ago, you had Tatum's ceiling at roughly the Paul George mark from memory. Uh, a lot has happened since then. A lot has changed. So has your idea of Tatum's ceiling changed as well? I'm actually I know you had had said that to me before, and I was like, did I really say that? I was almost surprised that I did because I I don't think I would have like put a ceiling on him at that point. Almost it would have been like I don't know he's. A rookie, well, like for, for we'll context, if, if I can add some context there, we had we had proposed that it was at a Kevin Durant kind of level as as homers oh, okay. and fans that we are, and, and you kind of brought us back down to earth a little bit by throwing out the Paul George comp. So it wasn't like it was in concrete, but that was the name that was thrown out at the time. Yeah, so I mean I, that was probably my like if he gets to ninety percent of his potential sort of sort of number or player. Uh, I think he's better than Paul George now, and Paul George at his absolute best was i think he finished top five in mvp right maybe fifth in mvp voting but like nobody thought he was one of the five best players in the world it's just that he had a good year and and was in there and maybe i guess that was the season where he got hurt at the end so uh, a lot of people thought he was going to be a top five mvp finalist but then i don't think ended up there maybe i don't really remember it doesn't matter nobody thought he was one of the five best players in the world uh tatum ceiling now is obviously that he can be one of the five best players in the world by the time you know three four five years from now if lebron ever ages you would think uh durant would you would think will will start to age at some point like guys are going to age out and the younger generation will come in and you're looking at what that younger generation is and it's basically like luca tatum zion and Cade cunningham are like the guys for the generation of guys who are on rookie scale or earlier and that puts him in the real upper echelon of, of players in the league and that's not a level that paul, paul george has ever hit uh so maybe that kevin durant comp i wouldn't quite go there because Durant is like the most talented scorer in the history of the league um but you know he's he's on a certainly a level above where where I think Paul George has peaked out at. 
Ryan, I gotta say, I appreciate your realism <laughs> and, you know, put it, putting some ice, ice on us to cool us off a bit. I do have to say in general, uh, if anyone listening to this is annoyed by me on this podcast and annoyed by, um, you know, annoyed by me on Reddit in general, they should place their complaints to Danger Cart directly, Ryan here, <laughs> because the only reason I'm on Reddit is because I went there and I saw one of your posts and I was like, damn, this is awesome. This is like some deep dive, real salary cap, you know. This guy really gets it. This is an awesome community. So the only reason I'm even here is because of you. So I just want to say it's great to finally meet you, uh, you know, through uh, through audio at least. I think Reddit hates me now, and, so it's all right. <laughs> hey, you know, <laughs> join the club. I'm, join the club, buddy. The only, only time I'm, I get tagged in on things is when somebody's bitching about some moderation decisions and the whatever. <laughs> so uh, I've become a villain with, despite not being there nearly as often anymore. Um, so uh, <laughs> I think, I think the people, they miss you doing your deep dives directly in Reddit. You know, we have to go and seek you out now. So we miss you a little bit. Now we just post them standpoint. there. So it still works. Yeah. <laughs> they don't happen very often these days. But, <laughs> but also Ryan, I want, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to apologize to you because I get so excited about this stuff and you are the cap guru. You are just like, you know, the, the person who gets it beyond, beyond anyone else on Twitter that I can see. Uh, so I find myself reaching out to you and asking you, you know, I, I tend to get all these crazy wild ideas and I kind of try to pass them by you to get your, your, your seal of approval, or at least, you know, figure out where I'm going wrong. And I think it's progressively gotten, uh, more and more annoying from your standpoint. I think you're just getting more and more <laughs> annoyed with some of my comments I send you. Like, I think it started probably in like 2019. I was like, Hey, should we sell high Marcus Morris? And you're like, no. And then it kind of just got a little bit worse. I'm like, Hey, do you think the Dallas Mavericks can trade for Durant? And you're like, no. And more recently, and I actually wanted to ask you about these now, um, in the offseason, I would ask you about, um, you know, I, I thought that Gordon Hayward probably would get four years, $100 million. Uh, I thought he'd probably leave. And my takeaway from that was maybe we should consider salary dumping Kemba for, you know, someone like a, someone to like the Knicks, for instance, get back maybe their eighth pick. And I think your reaction <laughs> was when I realized I need to stop messaging you because I'm apparently really getting on your nerves because you basically told me uh, <laughs> that is completely stupid. <laughs> I'm going to tap out of this conversation. So I wanted to get your take now. How do you feel about Kemba at this point? Do you th- are you still patient? Do you think we should consider trading him? So you send me very long things is what it is. <laughs> I made a point before that you send me sometimes like crazy things. And usually the questions yes. you're asking me are like technical questions. Like can a team potentially do this and to your credit usually the answer is yes they can technically do the crazy things that, that you're asking me about and i have also pointed out that like for all that i always say like these crazy things do not happen they do sometimes happen and the teams have made it clear like that they talk about crazy things sometimes and you know the daryl Morey made a career doing crazy things that people would think up and go that's crazy that's never gonna happen so they do sometimes happen and i, I admit that um but they are generally in, you know, sort of on the insane level of like, is this possible? Oh, I but get it. Absolutely. They are usually, Absolutely. and I have a couple I want to ask you about after, but <laughs> usually correct though. Like you there are things that you can do. Um, the, the question about Kemba and the pushback on Kemba was not that it was a bad idea to, to move him. Uh, I, when they signed him, I, my take on it was basically like, I don't think this is a particularly good signing. I understand why they're doing it. I came around to it relatively quickly on the, like, well, you know, if you're not really going anywhere anyway, then it's at least I'd rather have a fun team that I like than a team that's sort of, you know, stuck and not going anywhere because we weren't quite sure if Tatum and Brown were going to be that level of player and all that. So like, I sort of got it, but it was never a signing that I was 
that I was super high on, which is saying something because I'm a UConn fan and like love Kemba Walker. I still love Kemba Walker. I don't, you know, the idea that he would be a really good player on the Celtics would sounds like amazing and great. Uh, so I was never against that. The, the pushback that I always had on it wasn't that they shouldn't consider moving him. It's that they were not going to move him. Like they just, it just wasn't going to happen that they were going to have after the exodus of players that they've had, who are sort of max players, well thought around the league that they were going to turn around and then trade a guy who they had just signed to a max to a team that like, even though he's from New York, that sucks and that nobody wants to play on. And like the, so that was more of what it was. And it was just like the, it was a non-starter from a like structure of the franchise position, not from a look at the cap sheet and the basketball reference page and tell me who should be going and who should be staying and how you make that work. Um, and I think that that was true. And I think that that has changed to this point. Uh, it's, you know, I think open that they did talk about it in the, you know, in, in the off season about, could they move him and get in on Drew Holiday or could they move him to create other options as part of the, the Hayward leaving? Like there were things that were at least discussed in some manner. So again, I was possibly just wrong about that. Um, and I think that it's definitely open in the future. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he gets traded in the coming off season. Uh, I think it's just, I think at this trade deadline, it's very difficult to trade. And just the, the sort of mechanics of how you make that work in season are hard, but it wouldn't surprise me if he gets traded this off season. It was, so that's really what I was pushing back on that one specific thing. Oh, it makes like, sense. I don't, I just it seems totally so sense. unreasonable that they would do it. <laughs> but again, like sometimes you, things come out of the blue and you're just like wrong. So maybe I would have hey, been wrong. I, I'm absolutely putting the fault on myself because I know I can get over, you know, overexcited and reach out to you about things. And I'm like, man, I'm just bothering him. But yes, that's a good example of something where I was like, hey, if Hayward leaves, uh, is it does it make sense to salary cap dump uh, Kemba and then will we open up a cap space slot to put them next to, you know, another guy next to Brown and Tatum. And you I think you correctly threw ice water on me and said, calm down. <laughs> so I have a couple other ones that I asked you about, but I wanted to get your take on them now because we're at, we're approaching the trade deadline. It's coming up March 25th. So the first one is I wanted to get your take, and this is really deep dive stuff. So, you know, maybe the casual fans don't even care about this stuff, but um, we've talked a little bit about the TP. We've talked a little bit about uh, targets. What is your take on like the whole stepladder trade thing? So the idea that you can acquire someone and then uh, immediately flip him by himself, not aggregating salaries, but flip him by himself with draft picks or someone who makes a little bit more than TPE. The example I had sent to you was, I'm like, what if we traded for uh, you know a second rounder to, for Otto Porter and then immediately traded Otto Porter with a first rounder for Andre Drummond? Not that I'm a big Drummond fan. And your reaction was great. Your your reaction was, I'm not going to read uh, a, treat, uh, a, treat, a treatise on Drummond, which I had to actually look up that word, which is basically a, a written work that's over, you know, overdone. So I agreed with you, but not that, but in general, the whole stepladder trade idea, what is your take on it? Is that just totally outlandish or is that something that could actually happen? I believe the general consensus is that the league would step in and say it's cap circumvention and that the risk would be that you get stuck with the player in the middle. Um, and so that teams would not be willing to try it. Now, I think there is, and I can't remember the player, there is sort of a lower salary example of where it has happened in the past and the league didn't stop it. Maybe it just wasn't like a high enough profile thing for me to care about. It wasn't something that was like <laughs> thought about all that much. It was a while ago. I honestly can't remember what the player is. I've heard it mentioned in other places and it's just not coming to mind right now. But I think that's the general consensus among at least media people. Um, I've never asked it directly to anybody with the team. 
but I, I believe that that's sort of the consensus and the fear is that the league would step in and be like, nope, you can't do that. And you're stuck with the guy in the middle. Now, for that particular one for the Celtics, again, I, I love UConn guys, but not Andre Drummond. He's one of my least favorite <laughs> UConn players of all time. Um, but right. we also get into problems there around the you know, around the hard cap and, and stuff like that, where you're, if you're right, trying to make right, that right. work, but just the general idea of like, can you do a step trade? Uh, I think the answer is probably no, but it's never really been tested for like a high enough profile thing for the league to care. So nobody's exactly yeah, sure. I think I, I, did we not do that? I mean, a smaller version of that when we uh, acquired Isaiah Thomas, I thought that we had done some kind of stepladder cap circumvention to make that happen. But well, I mean, probably, he was, you said a very smaller version of that. Um, I don't think so. I mean Isaiah, because um, we had a we had a uh, we had a traded player exception back then, but I don't remember the details. I think you're probably right on that as well. Uh, and again, I apologize for my very long deep dives. I took that one just to show you how crazy I am. I took that to the level of actually going to the Chicago Bulls subreddit and saying, "What did you guys want for Otto Porter?" And they're like a second rounder. And then I went to the Cavs subreddit and like, "What would you actually want for Drummond?" And they're like, "At first, I'm like, well, there you go. <laughs> you if you're, into, if you're interested in Drummond, <laughs> you could have Drummond." But what's funny is like a, a couple of days after I had posted that, uh, we played the Pistons. And Mike Gorman and, and Scalabrini were literally talking about that. Yes. And Scal at that point was just like, he's terrible. And by the end of the game, me and Gorman both were like, you're right, Scal. You're right. So, so the problem, I mean, so right. The problem with Drummond is not just that he's not particularly good. It's that the team has, I think at this point, everybody should accept they've made it clear that they don't want to spend at the center position. I think that's one of the questions we're going to get into here, actually. But it's just not, they have determined that it's not a place to put money unless you get Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic or maybe Carl Towns or somebody like that, but it's just like not where they want to spend money. So again, on that very particular example, that's one of the other problems is that they just don't want to spend any money at that center. And even if it's short-term money, I just don't think that's the way that they want to want to build their team, particularly if we put them in the luxury tax, the hard cap stuff, all the other things that we can throw out there. Um, I will say that I have heard Otto Porter as like, Hey, put Otto Porter on the list for the Celtics um, from like, you know, around the league sort of stuff that, and I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me because they would have to move Tristan Thompson probably, and then sign another center. And like, again, the hard cap and tax implications of that make it seem very unlikely right. to me, but I have at least heard it thrown out there. He's having, should consider he's having it. a decent season. Know. Like he's, he's he not playing money. poorly. Yeah. If he was making 18 yeah. instead of 28, you would be like, Oh, okay, well that's an easy enough thing to put together. And like, I guess he fits as sort of a lower end target and you could probably have him for basically for free, but um, just the money he makes makes it a little difficult to put together. Ben, before you go, I, I have one last question for Please. him, just kind of on the same topic. Go nuts. Um, and this is, this is again, this is where it gets way into the weeds and it's completely ridiculous, like you said. And I think when I said to you, this to you, you were like, stop. <laughs> so, but my idea here, Ryan, and the reason I'm bringing this up, just to be clear, is there's some players that fans uh, want to target, like the Bradley Beals of the world who make more than the TPE that, you know, are, they keep coming up in trade ideas and it's just not feasible through the TPE. Um, and the problem is if even that stepladder trade, if you can't aggregate salaries and you're just sending someone like Porter plus picks, you're not going to land a player like Beal. We don't have the cap, you know, we don't have the pick capital to make that work. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I've been actually, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're on here because I've been asking people left and right. I've been asking people like Keith, uh, Keith Smith, whatever his name is, um, just like, is this possible? So generally, and correct me if I'm wrong here, if you acquire a player with like the trade player exception or any player, you have to wait normally two months 
to aggregate his salary with other players. In other words, acquire someone like Buddy Heald and then package him with Marcus Smart and other players and send him out on a larger deal. Is that correct that normally it's two months, but this year I've heard that it's much shorter because of the COVID situation? Uh, it's shorter, but I think we passed it last week. Uh, the schedule, so there's this table that maps days from a regular, from a normal season's calendar onto this season. And uh, so at the very beginning of the season, the retrade was like 18 or 19 days or something like that. But it's as stretched out as the season goes on, like those, the mapping, it's gotcha. a literal table of like this date becomes this date, this date becomes that date. And there's days where it's like this day and then it skips ahead two or three days. And so it's been stretching out over time. And I believe it passed on the fourth or the fifth or something last week. Um, I could go and find the actual date. I, I don't remember exactly what it is, but um, there's some people talking about <laughs> actually... it, including um, some people who are referencing that Daryl Morey had pointed out that like there had been no trades on that day because there's always an aggregation deadline trade day and people make it be, oh, this stuff, is anything going to happen? And I don't think there's been a single trade on that day in like six years. Uh, it just right. isn't a thing that ends up happening. It's something that people pay attention to, you know, in certain circles, but like from many trades there, but it, it um, I'm almost certain that it passed last week, but I'd have to go and look at the table and figure it out. Which I, that's great okay. to hear because I had actually tweeted out to Keith Smith and I, he had told me it's there's some table and I yeah. said, well, what is the table? And he says, it's not publicly available. Yeah, it was in the so memo. I guess I'm not cool. With that. It was in the memo <laughs> that went out uh, when they put out all the deadlines for like, hey, trade exceptions are now expiring. You know, each individual trade exception has a date that says like now it's expiring on this date, the adjusted dates, um, the dates for qualifying offers for restricted free agents. The, we had the whole thing about when, you know, when is the option date for for Gordon Hayward and like it has this weird the weird structure of how they wrote the sentence that confused a bunch of people including me it, is it all in that same memo in that there's also a table of dates and you can go through it and like match them up it's, it's super hard to read and you have to like know exactly what you're looking for but um if you're an NBA front office then you know exactly what you're looking for it's just for like I have it I just have looked at it and I'm like this is too annoying and I move <laughs> on and let other people on Twitter figure it out <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, I appreciate you clarifying that because the whole 19 days thing was intriguing. But like you said, I was probably earlier in the season because I'm thinking if it's only three weeks, but that gets into that whole cap circumvention thing. Um, like, well, then maybe you could acquire someone and then just sit on them for three weeks and then package them with other players to go after a, a Beal or a Towns or whoever. But uh, yeah, if if we pass that date, then it's good to know. So I can stop dreaming about that one outlandish thing. Yeah, one of the crazy <laughs> outlandish things that came out of that memo is when people are first looking at that calendar before they had read the rest of the memo, there was the thought that you would be able to sign free agents this past off season and then trade them not as part of a sign and trade, but like retrade them before the season even started. So they're like, wait, could we go sign somebody else's free agent? Basically, could you sign somebody else's free agent and assign and trade? And people are like parsing through this memo and all the dates and finally realize like, no, okay, there's this other override. It's the whole thing is very difficult to read. It's sort of, it's, I'm not gonna say it's legalese because it's not. The memo is like three pages long and there's a table in it, but uh, it's a very <laughs> weird document that's hard to understand. <laughs> But see, I love that stuff. That's like years ago when we we traded Gary Payton and then they cut him and we signed him, you know, a couple of weeks the later. The Gary Payton rule. They had to, ch yes. <laughs> yeah, they had to change the rules because of that. I mean, if anyone's going to do it, it's Danny Ainge. So I'd like to find out these little loopholes ahead of time, even if they're crazy. So again, a long way of saying, Brian, Danger Cart, I'm sorry to bug you on Twitter for all my stupid ideas. <laughs> no, look, that's okay. that's really helpful and informative because our, our target audience is definitely like the biggest of Celtics nerds. So that is sitting at home, just rubbing their hands together, absolutely loving this stuff. So thank you for that. Um, it kind of leads me to another question before we get into the, the center rotation. And that is, Ryan, you know, if metaphorically, if one walks up to the enclosure of Celtics fandom and they look in, you might see 
Bill Simmons, mentioned Keith Smith earlier, you know, some of the bigger reporters, um, Kendrick Perkins, but then somewhere in there is Ryan Bernardoni. Like, if you're a Celtics fan, you're on Twitter, you're online, sooner or later, they're going to come across you. They're going to come across your Twitter account and, and see the, the sort of unique insightfulness that you add compared to some of the other names that I just, I just mentioned. Um, we talked about La Bird sort of almost relentlessly reaching out to you. I'm sure that's just one of, of many instances <laughs> of that being the case. What is that like for you? One thing that you and I have in common is we have very young children, but both also work full-time on top of our sort of Celtics online hobbies. How do you, how do you manage the influx of, of inquiries that you get from Celtics fans out there? Uh, well, there's two ways. One is that I'm not very good at my job. Um, so I have <laughs> we have that in common too. That way. Um, the... The bigger thing is that my DMs usually are not open. <laughs> right. Uh, sometimes they are. Uh, frequently they aren't. No, I mean, I don't mind. I, I'm not anybody special. Like, I'm not a reporter. I'm not some important person. I, a fan like everybody else. I spend my days watching and talking about basketball. Um, so it's not really anything to, like, manage or handle. Um, obviously, I was on Celtics Reddit. Um, and, you know, that's the same same exact idea. Like, there's no... It's not, It's you know, it's, it's not like some burden that i'm carrying to have to talk about the thing that i <laughs> do as a hobby and like so yeah it's not a problem okay all right well there you go lab bird keep, i'm shocked i'm out. shocked you haven't <laughs> i'm yeah. shocked he hasn't banned me yet i'm sure you know i, I would have sworn by now you would have blocked I'm me you, just, but, you, you just shorter the green it's twitter you got like you know the, it's right. like yeah, uh, okay. it's like 500 <laughs> words and i'm like oh, it's, good it's about andre drummond i'm not reading this <laughs> treatise right treatise is andre that the <laughs> There you go. You learn something every day. All right. Well, I want to yeah. get to the. <laughs> I want to get to the center format very quickly. Um, so I mentioned it as a, a revolving door starting center format. And Ryan, do you know if any team has ever had success with this format in the past? And do you foresee us finding and sticking with a starting center, or are we just going to continue with the the format as it stands? Um, in terms of if anybody's done it in the past, I guess you have to define center uh, a little bit, sure. like. Who was the center on the Warriors? If it was Draymond Green, then no, that obviously not. But like they had Bogut and Looney and a, some other guys who you sort of put in there uh, within a season. That's a little bit of a different question. Like those, they had established starting centers within the season, and the Celtics will probably get to an established starting center by some point. Uh, it might be like Game One of the playoffs, but you know you figure it'll be either Tice or Thompson will start, and Smart will be in the starting lineup, or if they go and get some great wing option, that'll stabilize things and they'll have, have one center. And because Brad Stevens hates Robert Williams, he'll be the third center for some reason instead of the second and it'll piss me off and everybody else on Twitter. Um, so they'll probably settle into something, but like it is a, we can go back to the Drummond thing. Like it is a strategic decision that they have looked at it and said, we don't want to spend money on the position. If you don't want to spend money on the position, the way that you get around is by matchup guys. So you've got, you ideally have three different guys who deal with three different matchups and then a fourth center like taco fall. If you get really stuck and need to play somebody and you try to manage that and you, you pick and choose. And they did that last year too, where it was, you know, against Embiid, they played Ennis Cantor. And then in the next round, they didn't play Cantor and they played Robert Williams more because like Cantor couldn't hang in the Toronto series the same way that, that he could just sort of standing behind Embiid and waiting for the double team to come. Yep. So you can do that. You just have to build your roster in a way that's good. Now you can talk about whether or not Tristan Thompson is the right guy to be the third part of that center rotation. And should Robert Williams have a higher profile in it? But like that strategic de- decision, I think is completely defensible. That's like spend all your money on the wing and at point guard and like fudge it at shooting guard a little bit and then spend like as little money as you can at center, unless you stumble your way into like 
some, you know, if you, if you draft Jokic in the second round and you end up paying him, that's fine. But otherwise like, okay, Daniel Tice is fine. And Robert Williams is fine. And Tristan Thompson is fine. Like that's, that's just a completely normal way to build a team these days. Um, historically, did that happen? No, because historically teams didn't shoot as many threes and centers were more important and defensive. You know, there was no, there was a legal defense. So you more post-up game and all that. So like, you can't really go back that far in history to find a time when center was as, uh, was as unimportant as it is now. Right. And so there, there isn't a historical you know reference for that, but um, will there be in the future? Yeah, probably. Maybe it'll be the Celtics. Sure. So what about if Al Horford agreed, like uh, bringing it back to the TPE, if Horford agreed to exercise his opt-out, would we be smart to take him back with the, with the TPE? Agreed to exercise his opt. Oh, so if you, if you're just taking him back for one season, you're saying it basically yes, like after yes. that, um, probably not. Um, two seasons. I think that Sorry. I don't think he's any, I don't think he's any better than the options that we have, not in any meaningful way. Like, does that change anything of where this team can, can really do? Daniel Tice is good. Like, he's just a good player. And Robert Williams is a super effective player. So, I don't know if that changes your ceiling at all. Like, I just think that there's a much more pressing need um, one position over to, you know, have a big wing. And you get into the question mm-hmm. of like, if you literally strike out on everybody else, would he, would you be better off getting Horford than nobody? Maybe uh, the options to use that the trade exception in the off season aren't great. And so you know, like you could, I guess, again, make an argument for it, but I don't think that they, I just don't think they want to spend the money at the position at all. And I think that that's probably smart. Hmm. We're recording this before tonight's game and before Danny Ainge probably makes a trade for someone. So if you were going to guess who that trade was, so Kevin O'Connor was just, he tweeted out something that he was hearing all sorts of buzz. And then there was lots of, you know, lots of rumors around that. If you were going to guess that after this podcast, making it irrelevant, who have we just acquired? (laughs) Uh, So I thought early in the season that it would be Kelly Oubre because of the cost, it just the overwhelming luxury tax costs that the Warriors had. And Steph is playing so well that I think they'll probably just sort of play it out and, and hold on to him. So more likely somebody from the Magic. Uh, is that Aaron Gordon? Maybe. Is it Terrence Ross? Maybe. Uh, Thad Young seems possible. Like, I don't know. I, it'll be somebody who I'm not even mentioning. Somebody who's not on the list at all. It'll be somebody on the left field. And be like, oh, of course, that guy <laughs> who we didn't ever think about. Uh, but yeah, if it was going to happen like tonight, uh, I don't know. Yeah, Thad Young, somebody like that maybe. I'd be so disappointed. Yeah. Well, that's why it's not going to happen tonight. They're going to wait until the trade deadline because anybody who they could get today, they, they just, it's not like worth the opportunity cost of just waiting a month. Yeah. That makes sense. Makes sense. So I don't know why, I don't even really know why we're asking this, but it's the, it's the last question on my list here, Ryan. Uh, (laughs) It's not even really a question, but it's something that's been going on in our Slack over the last week or so, particularly since the Clippers win. Uh, The Celtics are 19 and six when Jalen Brown sits uh, so far. uh, So that's over the last three seasons and the 30 and 11 without Jalen Brown since drafting him. That is weird, right? Like I know (laughs) these things are, uh, there are a lot of variables to, to just, um, throwing out a figure like this, a win-loss record based on a player's presence or absence. But that is weird, right? Is, is there anything to that, or are we overthinking things as, as neurotic Celtics fans here? I, it's not that there's nothing to it. Uh, I don't think it's like a huge thing to it. Um, if you think about it, like before this season, has Jalen ever really been on a consistent basis better than the fourth best Celtic? I mean, maybe, although I think people in the team and in, in the organization thought that Hayward was a better player than him last year. And I think that that's pretty easy to, to make that case 
uh, for all the different things he could do, particularly as a sort of third option role. And so how many teams like really fall apart when they lose their fourth best player or worse when in his, his first year, he wasn't the fourth best player. His second year, he wasn't the fourth best player. Like uh, he may have been a negative player when he was on the floor a lot of that time. So if you, but if you just go to the 19 and six over the last three years, that's really what you're talking about is like you, yeah. they didn't have their third or fourth best player and they won a good number of games in a pretty small sample size. So like, again, it's not, I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think it's nothing. If they, if that continued this year, that would be a surprise because he's obviously just a much better player playing a much larger role this year. And, and so if he fell off the face of the earth for a month and they went in a big winning streak, like that would seem weird. Now, if you remember beginning of the season when they got Kyrie and and Hayward like they're both out and the team goes on a crazy winning streak like sometimes weird things just happen and they mean basically nothing um right so but I don't think it's I don't think it's nothing like if you look at all of the sort of advanced stat stuff the analytics that are based on on-off numbers they've never really loved Jalen um they've always sort of been like yeah he's an okay player but um some of those stats might be a little bit of empty calories he does some of the things on defense that make players look like they're good defenders, but especially if you're a perimeter defender that like don't actually make you a hugely impactful defender. The he's not to the extent of like Avery Bradley, who looked like he was a really good defender and then just wasn't a particularly good defender. Um, in reality, it, it's not to that extent. He does more things in a team concept than, than Bradley did, but like, he's not a great defender. He's just sort of an eye catching defender at certain times. Um, sure. And on offense, this is the first time that he's been a particularly efficient player. And a lot of that's related to like his assist numbers and, and stuff like that more than just like the mid range shooting. That's probably going to regress. So, um, I don't think it's a huge deal, but it's something to kind of watch, like as he, you know, develops and fills out a larger role, will some of those like analytics that are talking about on off stuff start to catch up and portray him as a better player. They already have, but over the last couple of years, they've never been particularly kind to him. Um, he's not Jason Tatum is sure. like we can have that argument people are going to have that argument you know Jalen might start the all-star game although I don't think he will because of fan voting but um it's not he's not a better player than Jason Tatum he's not a better prospect than Jason Tatum like Tatum just can do more and um but he is becoming a very good player and so I would not expect that sort of thing to continue because he's better than he was three years ago I just want to say to anyone listening to this, if they've been calling me a Jalen Brown hater, just send those complaints to Ryan instead. <laughs> so one of the great things about Jalen is that he is always, um, like he's always outperformed my expectations, right? So every yeah. year I think this is what he's going to be this year. This is sort of his reasonable level. And then every year he does a little bit better than that. Sometimes like this year, quite yeah. a lot better than that. And like, that's one of the great things about being a fan of a team, right? It's when some player who's on your team, who you thought was one thing turns out to be better. And it's like, Oh, I'm, wrong and it's wonderful like this is great i love being wrong about this i think that romeo langford is going to be a certain level player if he comes back and he's a 15 point a night scorer who's playing all nba defense i'm not be like oh man i thought he was going to be a seventh man or a sixth man and like oh look this is like huge this is i'm not going to be there being like ah shoot i wanted to be right like i'm thrilled that jalen brown's gonna be an all-star player it's wonderful he's all but he has consistently basically since he was drafted been a better player each successive year than i thought he would be Mm -hmm. um and so does that mean i hate him Uh, I think it just means that he's a hard worker who (laughs) continually outperforms expectations. And I'm happy about that. (laughs) I thousand, you know, a thousand percent agree with you. I had the same feeling towards Avery Bradley when he first entered the league. I was like, this guy is never going to be a starter. And then when he actually ended up being one of our best players, it was extremely rewarding. So yeah, anyone who, you know, thinks you're a hater. I mean, (laughs) uh, 
the, Ben, the thing about that was that I actually started tracking his uh, our win loss record without Jalen. Ironically, because there were so many people that were saying that uh, we had kept winning without Kyrie, and I was I just thought it was funny at the time to be like, you know, we've won like eight in a row without Jalen Brown. Like the one you guys keep saying is uh, you know, Michael one. Jordan. We we keep winning without him, and I never really took it that seriously. I do want to say though that the last couple seasons, I definitely noticed that in games that Jalen was out. Gordon Hayward was always stepping up. He was always stepping up huge. He was always averaging like 22, 23 points in those games. And I just thought it was interesting. Even the year where he was hobbled coming back from that injury, he was stepping up in those games. And last uh, game we played without Brown, nobody really stepped up. We had Kemba went four for 20 or something in that game. And you're going to lose those games. And nobody's stepping up. You know, it's not going to work. We need to have Brown playing at a high level. I just want to ask you real quickly, Ryan, uh, do you you mentioned that you probably think Brown's an All Star this season? Do you think he has a chance to make All NBA despite everything you said? That's really tough. Uh, All NBA is just a really high level. Now the second guard position, uh, I haven't gone through it. Like I don't know how stacked it is. It's actually going to be hard for Tatum to make it this year, which is interesting because of his his rose rule escalators. Um, you just look at like how loaded the forward position is, and that Anthony Davis is probably going to be a forward because of how loaded the center position is. So it's a little difficult. But I haven't paid that much attention to. Um, to the guard line, so I have to sort of think through it. But um, some of that will probably come down to their record. Like Brad Beal is going to lead the league in scoring, but is he going to be All NBA if his team sucks that much? Like probably not. So if the Celtics have a decent record, then then that will have some amount of impact in it. And if they are the four or five seed, are they going to get two All NBA guys? No, you know that's not going to happen. It'd more likely be Tatum, even though it's difficult online. So um, yeah, I don't honestly, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I think he gets a little bit of an advantage from being able to be voted in at two different positions. Uh, I would guess it's unlikely, but uh, it's not like out of the question, which is really impressive for where he was a year ago, two years ago, three, four, five years ago. Right, right. All right, Ryan, we're out of time. I need to wrap this one up. This was fun, man. Thanks again for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That's going to do it for this one. Thank you to Ryan Bernardoni for jumping on. Thanks to LaBird33 and also Joe, who was in the Zoom chat, piping in questions for Ryan. We're either going to be back tonight after the Jazz game or in a couple of days' time after the Raptors game in Boston. Until then, go Celtics. Peace. Peace.